Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm Nicole, your Good Breeder community lead here at Good Dog, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Dr. Judy Stella, Dr. Michael Delgado, and Dr. Nate Ritter, who many of you probably already know, but for anyone who doesn't know them, they make up our health standards and research team here at Good Dog, and they've joined us today for a very important episode all about canine virus outbreaks and how we can work together, both breeders and dog owners, to keep our dogs protected. For any listeners that are new here, I just want to say welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Good Dog is on a mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them by advocating for dog breeders, educating the public, and promoting canine health and responsible dog ownership. We're a secure and free online community created just for dog breeders, and we're committed to empowering dog breeders with technology. If you aren't yet a member of our community, we would absolutely love to have you, and we invite you to learn more about our mission and apply to join at gooddog.com slash join, which, as always, you can find in our show notes. So to kick things off, just wanted to give a brief background on why we're all here today and why we picked this topic. So last month, there was unfortunately an outbreak of what was later found to be parvovirus in northern Michigan that spread really quickly throughout the community and severely impacted dozens of dogs. And we at Good Dog were so devastated to hear about this outbreak and the dogs and the owners who were impacted. So it was really important for us to cover this topic on the Good Dog Pod today. So to kick things off, I would love to hear from the three of you on what exactly parvo is for someone who's never heard of it before. Yeah, so canine parvovirus, it's an extremely contagious and severe uh, disease that primarily affects the gastrointestinal tract of usually young dogs. And how and where does it spread, especially in cases like this where it seemed to happen so quickly throughout the community of dogs? Yeah, so parvovirus can be transmitted either directly or indirectly. Directly, it's shed through the feces. So directly would be if a dog were to ingest fecal matter that was, you know, infected with the virus. Indirectly is when, you know, the dog, their mucous membranes, nose, mouth, or what have you, comes into contact with something that has also been in contact with the infected feces. So that could be anything from a dog bowl, you touch an animal that touched that fecal matter, it can spread that to other dogs. So it's from direct contact or ingested directly from the feces. And can this happen like in any place or is it just reserved to dog parks and like areas populated by dogs or can it really just exist anywhere? Yeah, so it's a great question. So it can exist anywhere, but you're more likely, of course, to find it in those areas that you referred to. So dog parks, boarding, grooming, what have you, those types of facilities where a lot of dogs frequent, you know, metropolitan areas, those kinds of things, you're more likely to find it. So we're talking a lot about how dogs get infected, but is there like a time frame between how long when they are infected or exposed to how they show symptoms? Like, is it very quickly after they're exposed? Does it take a few days? Yeah, so it does take a few days. So you would expect to see signs usually after exposure, three to seven days afterwards, you'd expect to see those symptoms. They can continue shedding that up to three or four weeks after exposure to that. So even after the dog could theoretically get better, they can still be infecting other dogs. They can still be shedding, yep. 
wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of the symptoms, what are some of the early warning signs you can look out for in your dog to know if they've been infected? Yeah, so primarily what we're going to see is profuse vomiting and diarrhea. I will say of all the different diarrheas out there, this one has a particular smell. If anyone has experienced this before, you, you know what I'm talking about. So not the most pleasant of topics, but once you smell that, you will uh, certainly never forget it. Because like I mentioned, the virus impacts gastrointestinal tract. It's actually the sloughing of the intestine. And so you can appreciate that material in the feces. And it, yeah, it doesn't have the best smell. Does the color of the feces look different at all? It sometimes occasionally will have blood. So it can be a little bit more of that darker red. So you can experience blood within that changing of color. Got it. Okay. So that seems to be one of the big warning signs. So if you notice some of these signs or you suspect that your dog has been infected or exposed to parvo, what are you supposed to do? What's like one of the first things you're supposed to do? Yeah, so it's critical that they're treated promptly. So you really want to be seen by a veterinarian. It depends, of course, on the condition. Some things can wait. You know, you call your general practitioner. You know, I'm experiencing this issue. Okay, we can get you in in a couple of days. No, fantastic. This isn't one of those conditions. You need to be seen as soon as possible. So if they're not able to get you in when you first start experiencing these problems, definitely recommend you go towards an emergency veterinarian to get your animal the help it needs as promptly as possible. Yeah, and since this is going to affect a lot of puppies, they may not be as robust. So it's not the kind of thing you want to sit on. At the very least, like call your veterinarian and let them know the signs that your puppy is showing so that they can help you determine like, yeah, get in here now or it's probably something else. So would you tell our listeners that it's like always an urgent situation once you start noticing these things that they need to get medical attention and help? Yeah, well, it's tricky because like I said, vomiting and diarrhea, a lot of different things present with those clinical signs, but it is one of those things that can progress quickly. And so if you're experiencing that, you know, additionally, lethargy, depression, hyporexia, or, you know, lack of appetite, fever, these are all things that you want to consider. So, you know, if your dog, in addition to those clinical signs, you know, their appearance and their mannerisms are different, that's definitely more reason to call, but it is a little bit tricky because it can kind of disguise itself because those are such common clinical signs. Got it. Dr. Ritter, do you want to touch on why it's important, those symptoms, a little bit about like how it can progress through dehydration and how quickly that can happen and that that's why it needs to be seen so quickly? Yeah, of course. So, you know, we're talking about primarily young dogs, smaller dogs, so heavily impacted by dehydration. So when we're losing those fluids in both the vomitus and the feces, we really need to ensure that they're properly hydrated. And that's one of the mainstays of treatment, which I'm sure we'll discuss, is ensuring that they remain hydrated. But since they're small, can be impacted by that fluid loss. That's why it's very, very important that they be seen as early as possible. I wanted to add to like one of the things about this particular outbreak that was causing a lot of stress for people was that these dogs did not test positive for parvovirus with a standard test, right? And what I believe was determined is that it's a different parvovirus strain. So all viruses have the possibility to mutate and change in severity or signs. And so it seems like that's what was happening. And when these dogs were tested with a PCR, I believe all of them did show that they did have a parvovirus. It just wasn't, for whatever reason, it didn't seem to be picking up on the standard test. So there is a test available as well. So if someone's suspecting that their dog has parvovirus, I believe a veterinarian will help you determine whether they need a test. And can you only get those tests administered at the vet? 
Yes, there are different tests like Michael referred to. The one that is most commonly used, it's an ELISA, it's a SNAP test, which is done in the clinic. And the test that picked up in these cases is, like Michael mentioned, a PCR, which is much more sensitive. And it's something that, of course, have this discussion with your veterinarian, but the PCRs are so sensitive that even times they just pick up the presence of that. So not necessarily if that virus is being infectious, but just the presence of it at all in that animal. So it's something that needs to be obviously in correlation with clinical signs considered as a whole. Oh, I did not know that you could test for parvo. So that's news to me. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about what you do with the dog that is infected or showing signs. But if you have other pets, if you're either a dog breeder who has other dogs in the house, or you're a pet owner who has a few other animals, are you supposed to isolate that infected dog from another pet or vice versa? Are you supposed to like send them away to their grandparents or something? What are you supposed to do with them? Yeah, so it's a tricky situation. Obviously, like we discussed with how it can be spread, it can be spread for weeks after exposure. So it is important to do the best that you can if you have someone else that's able to take those animals in to avoid that kind of contact. That's fantastic. But isolation, once again, your veterinarian will give you recommendations in terms of how to go about that. But definitely that's something that should be considered. Got it. And can you go a little bit more into depth of what treatment actually looks like for Parvo? So really, it's symptomatic treatment. So like we discussed before, with hydration, we're talking about fluids. Most oftentimes, these animals need to be hospitalized for a certain period of time. Antiemetics for the vomiting, antidiarrheals for the diarrhea, pain control. We want to ensure they're eating appropriately. And so it's really based on how the animal is presenting. That's kind of how you're treating it. Some other times they come in for diarrhea, you're able to administer a medication that takes care of that. And this is really ensuring that the animal makes it through that time period where they're showing those symptoms. And then after that, you know, we'll discuss kind of preventative care and what have you. But it's really symptomatic in terms of treatment. Right. And there's no cure, right? There is not. And it's important to point out, too, that even though these dogs were not testing positive at the veterinary clinic, the treatment plan would have looked exactly the same because you're just going to treat those symptoms. So it's important. That's another reason why it's really important to get to your veterinarian and have them assess your dogs and make sure that they're giving them that care that they need. So I know a lot of this can sound really scary to all of our listeners and these symptoms are scary and it feels like this is some uncontrollable thing. So like Dr. Ritter, you touched on, what are some preventative actions that breeders as well as dog owners can take to protect their dogs from parvo? Yeah, so they're going to receive some, you know, maternal protection from mom, but then as they continue to grow, that maternal protection wanes. So really important to vaccinate for something like this. And it's most often administered in a combination vaccine with a couple other things, distemper, adenovirus, parainfluenza. And that can be given as early as six to eight weeks of age. I mean, usually what we recommend be done every two to four weeks after that, they should receive a booster until they're around 14 to 16 weeks of age. After that point, they receive another a year after. And then depending on your area, usually what we would do when I was in general practice was every three years after that. So very, very important that they're vaccinated. In this case, I believe the outbreak, these animals had incomplete vaccination statuses, which you know resulted in infection. And additionally, you know, in that kind of crucial time period where they're still at risk, where they're getting those boosters, that six to eight week of age to 14 to 16 week of age point, we want to be careful when they're exposed outside of the house where we're taking them, what have you, because even though they're up to date on vaccines, they're still at risk. So that makes me think of the classic push and pull question. I feel like we see a lot from puppy owners. 
So you mentioned this, but I'll just phrase it as a question. What precautions should new puppy owners take, especially before their puppies are fully vaccinated? Because I know people, it's really important for new puppy owners to have their puppies socialized, which is another huge part of growing up and just getting outside in general. But how can you do that, but also keeping them protected before they're fully vaccinated? As far as socialization is concerned, it is definitely important and it is a trade-off, but there are safe ways to socialize your puppy. And one of the safest ways is to, if you have friends with fully vaccinated puppy-friendly adult dogs, is have them bring them over to your property, which is hopefully safe for Parvo and where they can socialize inside. So that's kind of dog-dog socialization. When a puppy is not fully vaccinated, that's not a time to take them to the dog park. Puppy classes is a different issue and there are mixed feelings on like the safety. But if you do decide to do a puppy socialization class, you want to make sure that vaccination is required and that the facility is cleaned and disinfected regularly and that the puppies are separated from each other for most of the class and that puppies who have any signs are not allowed in the class. So, you know, obviously socialization is important. And again, with humans, so You can choose to have your friends come over and do puppy dates on your property so they can meet other people as well. You know, I think that it's totally fine for most of the socialization to happen in your home rather than put your puppy's paws on the street and risk parvovirus. Right. So it sounds like there are things that you can do to kind of get the best of both to keep your puppy protected, but also socialize and For our listeners, I remember someone at Good Dog told me this and always stuck with me. You should never feel weird asking someone about their dog's vaccination history and if their dog is fully vaccinated. So hopefully anyone listening to this knows to do that as well, because that was something I heard that I'll never forget. It should not be a weird question. You're just keeping your puppy's best interest in mind. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Did you know breeders on Good Dog get $100 every year to spend on health testing and access to exclusive discounts from our partners, including Embark, Paw Print Genetics, and AKC Reunite? Click the link in the show notes to learn more about how you can access these special discounts and benefits today. Going back to vaccines a little bit, can we talk a little bit about how titers fall into all of this? versus vaccination or if they're related. For anyone who has no idea what that even means, can we explain what titers are and why you might want to consider boosting anyway? Yeah, of course. So they are definitely related. One is not in replacement of the other. The titer, it's a measurement of the concentration of antibodies. And antibodies are a blood protein that's produced in response to a specific antigen. So it's the measurement of those antibodies. And so the thing that I will mention, if we are going to titer our animals to see where our antibody level is at, it doesn't necessarily mean they will be protected from disease. So really important to discuss this with your veterinarian if you're going to have a titer done to measure those antibodies. But really what it does is helps instruct when to vaccinate. And so, you know, like we mentioned previously in kinds of the normal vaccination schedule regarding Parvo, you know, for those puppy visits to annual to then every three years or so, sometimes what you're able to do is titer to appreciate if they're in need of a vaccine or not. But like I mentioned, not always indicative of protection. So really important to have that discussion with your veterinarian. Yeah. And you can also titer at the end of the vaccine. So when your puppy's 14 to 16 weeks old, you can titer a couple weeks after that and see where they are because some puppies may need an extra booster shot after that as well to make sure that they're fully protected. So it's just another safety mechanism. If you're interested in doing that, you can ask your veterinarian about it. So vaccines are obviously the most important line of defense against parvo, but I'm curious how cleaning and disinfecting and sanitizing also fits into preventative care. 
So if there are any words of advice you can offer on how you can properly disinfect your home, how breeders can set up their dog housing and their kennels to prevent germs, any of that that you can speak to would be really great. Yeah, for breeders, you know, how they have their dog housing set up is really important. So you want to avoid having your dogs housed in areas with surfaces that can be very difficult to disinfect. So carpet, wood are all things that are going to be really difficult to clean and grass, certainly. So that, you know, that's something for people to be aware of is like, it's not easy to clean outdoor areas that are not sealed. So if you can house your dogs in stainless steel or sealed concrete flooring, and walls, that's going to make it a little bit easier to prevent the spread of disease. Should you have an outbreak, you want to be careful bringing new animals into your program that they go through a period of isolation to make sure that they're not bringing in anything into your program. There are products that do kill parvovirus. Some of them are better than others. So you want to make sure you do your research about what you're using to disinfect. And cleaning is different from disinfecting. So cleaning is where you first remove the debris, the feces, you're scrubbing and making sure the surface itself doesn't have anything on it that would prevent the disinfectant from working. And then the disinfectant is what actually will kill various dangerous things like bacteria and virus. So they have very specific instructions as far as like the dilution and how long it has to sit on a surface to properly disinfect it. So you always want to follow the manufacturer's instructions. We do have an article on cleaning and disinfecting on our website. So if you go to the Good Breeder Center at Good Dog, go to health and then click on preventative care. We have articles on cleaning and disinfecting. We also have articles on parvovirus. So that's definitely a good place to go. But just know that if animals have been on your property that have parvovirus, that the virus can live for several months, if not longer. And so that area may not be safe. You might have to kind of take a slash and burn approach or consider a different area for your dog to use for elimination because you don't want to keep reintroducing infections into your program. Yeah, you have to make sure that all organic material is removed, cleaned off of those surfaces before you sanitize them. Otherwise, the sanitation process will not work well. And the other thing that people can consider is just breeders, especially having a biosecurity protocol in place. So when visitors come to your house, make sure that you have a foot bath or have shoe covers or make people take their shoes off before they come into your house and wash their hands and all kinds of things. And you can ask them too, have you been around strange dogs or dogs of unknown vaccination status? And you might want to keep them away from your young puppies or your pregnant bitches during those times as well. Yeah, and it's important, obviously, overall, but for this in particular, because like Michael mentioned, parvo is incredibly hardy, can survive for, like she mentioned, a long period of time. It's resistant to heat, cold, humidity, drying, a lot of disinfectants that she spoke to. So, you know, trying to scare anyone, but it is just one of those that's particularly difficult to keep out or get rid of once it's introduced. So being proactive is particularly important. Picking up their waste, you know, as quickly as you can when they're defecating in their runs or what have you, very, very important. I would also add for new puppy owners, this is probably a time to avoid hanging out with dogs you don't know outside of your home and to take your shoes off when you come in the house and just avoid any risks of bringing it into the home environment. Obviously, you can do things like wash bedding, but again, this virus is very, very hardy. So you want to avoid bringing it in if you can. So shifting a little bit away from Parvo, but still in the virus realm, there was another outbreak that many local veterinarians in New Hampshire have been reporting. And they've been reporting some pretty serious respiratory infection outbreaks among the dogs there. 
So symptoms like a cough, runny nose, difficulty breathing. And then quickly they were seeing that the illness was becoming more and more serious. So they said it's not the typical kennel cough that happens a couple of times a year. The dogs are getting really sick, like pneumonia. Many dogs have been hospitalized. Some have even passed away from it. And this is from Dr. Karen Tinkham, who's the owner of a local New Hampshire veterinary hospital where they've been seeing a few of these dogs coming in recently. And at the time of this podcast recording, experts have still not been able to confirm the diagnosis or cause of this illness unless I am wrong. Yeah, so I don't think they have been able to figure out what exactly has been causing this. Again, our hearts are with everyone that's been affected by that in New Hampshire. And just to ask the three of you, this is another infectious outbreak that we're seeing in the news lately. Is there a reason that it feels like we see more of these in the summer? Do viruses like this thrive in certain temperatures? Yeah, so viruses certainly have different conditions that they're most comfortable in. I think the interesting thing with this one, you know, late in the summer, a lot of people using that time for vacation, a lot of dogs ending up at that time being boarded. So a lot of exposure to other animals where these things can be transmitted more easily. Like you mentioned, they don't necessarily know specifically the cause, but it does seem to be presenting as kind of a combination of kennel cough and pneumonia. And these things can be spread through dog-to-dog contact or exposure to the water droplets that are created by coughing or sneezing. So the times that we're going to be coming into contact with that is most often in areas where we see other dogs. So like we mentioned before, dog parks where there's a little more room, it's outside. The borders is one where we need to be particularly careful. So I think in this instance, back to timing, I think a lot of people were away. A lot of dogs were boarded at this time, resulted in, in an outbreak. Yeah, it's actually interesting you say that because the vets were saying a lot of the cases in New Hampshire were coming from daycare facilities where, of course, dogs are exposed to other dogs. So if you're an owner who needs to leave their dogs in daycare facilities like this with whatever comes up, if it's part of your day to day or it's once in a while, are there any additional precautions you can take to protect your dog? If you have to board them, daycare, whatever you want to call it, is there anything that dog owners can do to make sure that their dogs are safe? Yeah, I mean, the first thing you should do is go to the facility and make sure you feel comfortable with what you observe there as far as cleanliness and ask them what their vaccine policy is. Do they require all their dogs to be up to date on vaccines? In addition to that, regarding the vaccines, a lot of times in general practice, they did require that and ensuring that the dogs are up to date on vaccination as well. I know we spoke with parvovirus, but ensuring your dog is up to date. So a lot of times, you know, Portatella is something that's given annually. It's a very easy vaccine to administer, most often giving intranasally. So into the nose with that kind of local, you don't have oftentimes the systemic vaccine reactions that you can see rarely with other vaccine administration. So something that everyone should be doing. The other thing I would caution is just making sure that, you know, you could just ask, have there been any outbreaks? Have you seen any dogs? I mean, in this particular case, It's great to say that they should all be vaccinated for kennel cough, but if this isn't actually a kennel cough, if it's a new virus, then that's probably, they're still going to have these outbreaks going on. So just making sure that asking if they've seen any of these cases. And I would caution if this is something that's going on in the part of the country where you live, because there's a similar outbreak in North Carolina as well. It's a very similar type of symptoms and diseases. So it might be some new virus that's out there. 
just maybe rethink whether or not you need to board your dog or your dog needs to go to daycare and see if there's an alternative. Maybe a friend can come over or you can send your dog to grandma's house for a couple of days and try something different. And additionally, you know, it kind of depends on the health of your dog. So young, healthy dogs are going to be more likely to make it through something like this. If you have a dog that's already compromised in some way or an older dog or a really young dog, like we're saying, they're going to be more at risk. So you might want to take additional precautions with them. And regardless of what virus it is, just speaking about viruses in general, are there some telltale signs to look out for that your dog is sick? So for Parvo, I know we talked about the diarrhea specifically and being lethargic and lack of appetite. Are those universal symptoms that something's wrong or is there something else? Yeah, so I would say, you know, there are obviously clinical signs correlated with certain conditions. So we need to consider, you know, I always would tell people, you know, your dog best, you're appreciating things that you think are abnormal. Always, like Michael mentioned before, give your veterinarian a call, you can have that discussion. A lot of diseases can present in a lot of different ways. But it does help to gather an accurate history to kind of work down to a diagnosis, or at least how to treat symptomatically. So a lot of things can present a lot of different ways, but bringing that information, detailing it as carefully as you can, you know, I would recommend people, you know, if you're appreciating different things, journal that. How often is it happening? How long is it happening? Is there anything that incites that? So all things that will help your veterinarian get you to where you need to be. Yeah, I feel like what we tell people all the time is be your own detective. So ask the right questions, whether you're asking it of a daycare facility you're considering leaving your dog with, or when your dog comes home from some facility like that, you're checking to see if there's anything up with them, anything that's making them act different. So like you said, asking the right questions. And I feel like with that comes also education and the need to know what you're even looking for. So on that topic, what types of virus resources and education can people find on Good Dog, whether you're a breeder or a dog owner? What are kinds of things that we're putting out there? Yeah, we have a few webinars and we also have several articles on different vaccines and immunology and coming up with a vaccine plan for your own puppy or dog. And the best way to get to that information is go to gooddog.com. And find our Good Breeder Center tab. Go there. If you then click on health, you will find all kinds of articles, webinars. And if you go to health and then preventative health, then you will get to our section on immunology and infectious disease, where we have articles on all the vaccines. And we'll handpick some of those also to put in the show notes that are specifically virus related so that everyone can easily access them, but we have a ton out there and it's really important to not only read it, watch the webinars, but also share it within your communities. So it's always good to be spreading the word about all of that. So this is a fun new section that we haven't done before, but it's our first week trying it out. So this week we asked members of our private Facebook group to submit their questions about canine virus outbreaks to the Good Dog Pod mailbag. So to close off this episode, we're going to answer a few of those. And thank you to our community members who submitted. We really want to do more of these and hear from you and be here as a resource to answer your questions. So the first question is from Christina M. And she said, keeping your puppy safe is hard enough without having to worry about Parvo. How can the benefits of taking your puppies out in public for social time override the benefits of keeping them only at home while they're in training? Social experience is so important, but so is keeping them safe. I'm always on the fence about this. Please help me in making the right decision. So this is, again, that classic push and pull that I think a lot of breeders and dog owners feel. So what would we say to Christina? 
Yeah, we would encourage her to socialize her puppy safely. So that would mean, again, primarily in the home environment, bringing fully vaccinated puppy-friendly dogs over for some canine socialization and having friends and family come over. Who doesn't want to visit a new puppy? But following some of those same kind of biosecurity protocols, like taking their shoes off or making sure they wash their hands. If they have dogs at home, are those dogs fully vaccinated? So just taking that all into consideration. I mean, you could take your puppy out in a stroller if you really want them to get a little outdoor time. But you just have to be really thoughtful about where those puppies' feet are landing. Because if it is an area that other dogs have eliminated in, then you just don't know what you're exposing them to. So it's a balance and also super important. So you don't want to not have those socialization events happen on your property. But once the puppy's fully vaccinated, then you can have all the fun. And it's also important to consider, you know, it was something that I never really thought about until I moved into Manhattan. I was in practicing in Manhattan. And when you're trying to potty train your animals, of course, it's an important time for them. And so you're not going to be doing all of this inside. Of course, you're trying to teach them that you're trying to bring them outside. So like Michael mentioned, carefully picking your spots where you're bringing these animals to is very important. We recognize it's next to impossible to keep them in the whole time throughout that vaccine series until they're fully up to date. But go about it carefully, intelligently, and you'll have good results. Yeah, and if you live somewhere where there aren't a lot of dogs or out in the country, you know, those could be safer environments. And I would say, you know, a lot of people have small dogs. Take them out. You can carry them around and get them some social experiences and get them out to see and hear and smell different things while they're young. Awesome. So the next question is from Megan S. And she asked, my questions are about the parvovirus vaccine Do puppies ever get parvovirus from the vaccinations? Is it possible that a puppy sick with something else could get a false positive result on a parvo snap test due to having recently been vaccinated? It's an interesting question. And it's a really good question. And so, you know, the first part of that question, it's that vaccine is it's a modified live vaccine. So the live virus is attenuated or changed into a way that we elicit that immune response without getting the clinical signs associated. So, you know, a lot of people, oh, when my dog doesn't feel well after a vaccine, that's the immune response, not necessarily clinical signs from the virus itself. The latter half of that question, yes, you can get a false positive if they've been recently vaccinated. I would say take that into consideration. Of course, your veterinarian will think of this if we're testing um, after a vaccination. But in the five to 12 day mark after that vaccination, um, you may get uh, a false positive. But again, remember that you're treating the symptoms. So if the puppy's vomiting diarrhea and you're trying to prevent them from getting dehydrated, pretty much going to do similar, similar things, whether it's a false positive or not. Awesome. Well, those were the questions from the mailbag for this week. So thank you again to those who submitted. They were great questions. I think that's all I have for you guys today. Thank you for joining me on this episode. This was so fun to have you here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much to our listeners for tuning into today's episode of The Good Dog Pod. We're so happy we could have Dr. Stella, Dr. Delgado, and Dr. Ritter join to teach us more about canine virus outbreaks and how we can work together to keep our dogs protected. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you back here next week for our next episode.